this is our third week in a series, and so the series is really kind of being positive in a negative world, but really, we're talking about how to deal with emotions, how to deal with uh, faith that may seem weak and victory lost, or, you know, how to turn things around in our lives. And is there uh, something we can do? Is there things the Bible talks about that might be pretty plain that need some of our attention? And I know this just from, you know, articles and different things that during the holiday times, it can be pretty tough for people emotionally. You know, maybe you've lost a loved one or, you know, whatever it is, just sometimes the emotions of, of the holidays and just seem to put pressure on people. And those can be overcome. And that means we don't just have to bear up through Christmas and kind of make it through the first of the year and then it's like whoosh, a new start. Actually, we can have uh, an uptime. Are you with me? And, and Jesus faced different things in his emotions. I know that sounds weird because people think, well, he was God. Well, he was God in the flesh, but the Bible said he emptied himself of his eternal power and then came here. That's why he was able to be tempted, because God cannot be tempted, the Bible said. But when he came, he came and then was anointed by the Spirit so he could live a life like us, overcome, show us how to live, be a payment you know, for our sins, and the list goes on. But there are things in his life that he showed us how to win so and how to overcome emotional things. You know, Jesus at different times struggled with things. I know that's horrible to say that, you know, in some people's minds. But didn't the Bible say he was tempted in all ways like we are, yet he never gave in? That's awesome. So being tempted is different than doing. Are you with me? You can be tempted to do something bad. That doesn't mean you did it. That doesn't mean you sinned. And his emotions were attempted. There was one time where he was tempted to not go to the cross and he prayed and he said this, not what I want to do, but what you want me to do, that's what I'm going to do. So you could see he, he was challenged there. Who wants to go die? And not only die, but suffer separation from God by taking the sin of the world as a substitute upon themselves or on themselves. And he didn't want to do that. So he prayed and he said, here's what I'm doing as I'm praying. I'm putting my will in line with your will. And then I'm going to do what you want, not what I want. Because he even said, is there a different way to do this? And so we can see that Jesus dealt with things that we deal with. But in the temptation that we see in Matthew, the fourth chapter, and Luke also the fourth chapter, we see Jesus tempted, and we're going to go over these things uh, just real briefly because we went into detail about them the last two weeks, how Jesus was tempted by the enemy, and there were things that he was tempted with. 
And they are going to be things that we'll be tempted with, our identity. Some people are not even sure they have an identity. The lost has an identity, and the saved has an identity. People who have given their life are not just saved. In other words, it's like you got a train ticket, and you have a thing in your hand, and you die, and you go to heaven, and you're like, here's my ticket into heaven. And you're, you've got the ticket in, but you're no different. That is not how Christianity is. But that's not always how it's portrayed. And so in reality, you don't just have a ticket to heaven. And also, you don't just have your sins forgiven. When a person gives their life to Christ, they're made brand new in their spirit. They are a completely different person than they were before they gave their life to the Lord. Now, you're going to physically look the same for the most part. I mean, your face may shine more or something like that. But for, for the sake of what you were wearing, it, if you prayed when you, you got done praying, your clothes didn't change. And all of a sudden you're like, wow, you're a real snappy dresser now. No, you've got the same clothes on, but something happened in you, and here's the thing. You have a new identity. And sometimes we're not taught that we have become children of God. See, the world would say, we're all children of God. But Jesus said to the religious people who had not given their life to the Lord, he said, you're of your father, the devil. Ouch. So that's pretty broad, you know, from one way to another. So we are children of God when we've given our life to Christ. And there is a huge identity crisis in the body, in the church, that doesn't need to be there. And the only way it will be solved is not through prayer, not through fasting, not through calling out to God. The only way it's going to be solved is through the knowledge of what is true spiritually. And the only way we're going to find that is in the Bible. And so Jesus was faced with identity issues. If he was, you will. If you are the Son of God, do a miracle. You're going to be faced with identity. You know, if you're really a Christian, why are you acting like that? Does God really love you? You failed too many times. You hear these thoughts and nobody out there is speaking them, but they come into your head. You're going to have to go find somebody else to pray for you because you need a miracle and this is big. Your faith won't work. Those are all identity issues. That faith is trying to be robbed from you, and I would propose from the enemy. And so notice this in Ephesians, and we're briefly going over this, and really today I want to talk about, we've been talking about how to deal with these negative emotions, and that you can't just overcome emotions and negative stuff just by positive thinking alone. 
positive thinking is important. And I know sometimes you go to church and they're talking about positive thinking. Well, is God negative or is he positive? Does he have good things for us? Is, is eternity going to be great or should we speak negative? Boy, it's going to be horrible when we get to heaven. Isn't it a horrible thing serving God? You know, I came to the Lord. He set me free from drugs and it is just horrible. That doesn't sound right. I mean, serving the devil should be the negative. But he's going to lie and say, no, this is a big good thing. So being positive and having positive thinking is a good thing, but it is not the whole thing. And that is not how you overcome. It may be included in it, but let's look here at Ephesians, the sixth chapter. And we've talked about this. In the last couple of weeks, how important it is what we say. If you notice how Jesus overcame the negative emotions that were coming against him and the lies and the lying thoughts that were coming against him that were trying to cause him to go a different way, he constantly would speak what the Bible said. He would respond to these thoughts. He didn't just say, I'm going to think positive things. Now, thinking positive things is important, but he did more than just go, okay, I'm going to think positive things. This principle that we're look, we've been looking at is throughout the Bible. He even told Joshua in 1.8, Joshua 1.8, he said, if you want to prosper, you've got to get the word in your mouth and get it coming out of your mouth day and night. Then you'll be able to act on it. Then you will become successful. He said the same thing in Psalm 1. How it needs to start coming out of our mouth. And I don't know about you, but sometimes, maybe it's an older generation thing, where we were taught, you know, in a tough situation, just don't say anything, just grunt just head on. Don't cry. And okay, fine, we won't cry, but it's, it was like an all or nothing. Don't even say anything. Just zip your lip and move on. And there is an appropriate thing about not saying certain things, but there is a side where we do need to say some things. And we're going to talk about why we should say some things. You know, why should we? And then the other side is, what should we say? What should we say? If I am not saying anything, or I'm saying, if I'm not saying anything, my life is going to become a drift. You know what I mean by that? In other words, the wind is just going to blow the ship. If I'm saying the wrong things, I'm going to start heading the wrong direction. That doesn't mean I'm going to arrive at the wrong thing right away, but it means I'm going to start heading a certain way. James, in the book of James, said this, the tongue of a person, a Christian, is like the rudder on a ship. And wherever you aim it, you're going to start going. 
And so these things are important that we might, you know, as one person said, get a grip or a handle on our lip and watch what we say. But what are we supposed to say? It's a good question. And if the tongue is like a steering wheel, you could then see why Jesus combated these things that were coming against him to challenge him because we talked about this before, that if you start speaking the problem, the Bible said you start taking worry to yourself. And it starts dominating you. Are you with me? And so we want to talk about what we say and why do we say things. Why did Jesus speak when the thought came to um, not serve God like he should? Bow down and serve me and, and all this good stuff that you see will be yours. And he said, no, I'm only going to serve God. Why did he verbalize Scripture? Well, Ephesians, the sixth chapter, and we've touched on this a little bit, but we're going to go further here. Ephesians 6, verse 16 and he's teaching Christians here after the whole book how the enemy has been defeated and that the enemy shouldn't win in our life. And he's teaching uh, warfare, really how to overcome. And he uses this illustration of a Roman soldier and his uniform and how that the Roman soldier is arrayed in different things so that he can win in combat. Now, the enemy we're approaching, the Lord has defeated. In all reality, we have to give way to him for him to win. So what the enemy will want you to do is use your lip, your mouth, against you. Because he can't technically beat you. You have to surrender to him whether you know it or not. And sometimes people are surrendering areas and don't even know it. And how can you take back that area then? And what does this look like? You know, there are people who, you know, say we, we need to get up and everybody pray and pull down these strongholds and do all this stuff and, and nothing seems to be changing. Is that really biblical or what is he saying here to the individual about winning? And how you can overcome depression. How you can overcome feeble faith. How you can change things. Well, let's read verse 16 after he's talked about this armor. And this armor, if you'll look at it, are things that you need in place to win. One of them is called the breastplate of righteousness that means i'm in right standing with god through the work of jesus that means he destroyed sin i need to know that i need to not only know it i need to say i'm in right standing with god god put me in right standing with himself and the bible said i'm dead to sin why do I need to know that? Because when I'm attacked, 
I need to know I'm free from sin, and I need to know I'm in good standing with God. So he goes through this list, but he said above all these things, even if you don't have all the armor on, how many of you know if you're a soldier and you are getting ready to go into war and you know you want to have your helmet and if you have Kevlar or bulletproof vest or whatever and all this different stuff and your boots and you got, you got all the stuff you need, your night goggles or vision... You've got all this, but how many of you realize if there was like an emergency scenario and the enemy's coming, how many of you would realize today we might not be putting on our boots? Today I might not be putting on my Kevlar vest, bulletproof vest. I may not even put my, my helmet on. Why? Because they're coming right now. How many of you would realize we would option the important things? Are you with me? I wouldn't go, oh, it, we may be fighting for about four or five hours. Let me grab a, that bologna sandwich right there and put it in my pocket. Oh, you know, those mittens will be nice. It's a little chilly out there. How many of you know we're not thinking that? We're going to option out everything and go for the most vital, I need my gun. First. And if there's a couple hand grenades, I'm going to go for the hand grenades. Or, or there's my helmet, there's my gun. I'm just going to put this on my head because I can hide behind a building and peek out. And I don't need my bulletproof vest because they're just on me. How many of you would realize that would be a real scenario? You know, he gives you this scenario. He said, above all, verse 16... In other words, after giving us all these other things, if you haven't done these above these, do this. Above all, taking the shield of faith, with which you will be able to quench, means extinguish or put out all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Notice he said we need the shield of faith, and what are we dealing with in our spiritual battle? We're dealing with a real enemy, and what he uses are fiery darts. Well, what do these fiery darts look like from a Bible standpoint? And we don't have time to get into it, but you could go back and read the story uh, that we were reading about the temptation in Luke 4 and in Matthew 4, and you can see that they were contrary thoughts that came to lie. To lie. To speak against the truth. Whatever, and, it, and that can be very broad. You're unworthy. You, you've done that too many times. You know, you, you're too late in the game. You know, you, you could have been successful, but you, you fooled around too long. How many of you realize Moses got going when he was 80? Not that we want to wait. You understand? Well, I'm just waiting. But no, we need to know the scripture because we need to realize fiery darts are going to come to everybody. When you're old, you fall apart. People talk like that. You know, in, 
in the Bible, it says, as the length of your days, so shall your strength be. What if we started verbalizing that? But notice, taking the shield of faith. So who does the taking of the shield of faith? I do. And where am I taking it? To wherever these fiery darts are coming. And he said, with this faith, which faith comes, the Bible said, from hearing. In Romans ten seventeen, and hearing the word of God. So the question is, what is faith? Faith is confidence. Faith is persuasion about something God has said. So it's a very confident thing. You, you could even be struggling with fiery darts of doubt and still use the shield of faith. And notice this. And with it, you can quench most of the things that come against your head. All of the fiery darts. So in this fiery dart thing, you know, if you ever watched the movies where they shoot arrows at the castle and they're on fire and they try to get the thing burning, these fiery darts are meant to consume your way of thinking. To start a fire that starts dominating the way you think, what's that for so that other ways don't dominate you? And he said, we can put these things out. James said it like this concerning our own tongue. He said, the tongue is like a little fire. And it can produce a, you know, like a spark. It's a spark that can produce like a forest fire. And so we need to realize our tongue can contribute to this. But notice he said, you can quench them. And then it goes on to say, all, and, and notice they're fiery darts of the wicked one. Let that sink in. The wicked one. These are yuck thoughts. This would mean God doesn't want those things to dominate you. And he showed us by Jesus' life, from him verbalizing, he was able to quench. And he basically is saying here, this is how we do it. Keep reading. Verse 17, and take the helmet of salvation, or knowing what happened to you when you got saved, and the sword... Of the Spirit, the only offensive weapon, sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Literally, word there, Word of God, literally is from the Greek word like rhema. And it means the spoken word. How are we going to quench fiery darts? We have to begin to verbalize certain things. Are you with me? That was my review. And now we'll real quickly look at the importance of the words we, we speak. Turn with me to John 6.63. John's Gospel. Jesus said this. Why is it important what we say? Or what we say 
And why is it important to say something? Some of the greatest stories we know in the Bible, really God got people to begin to say the right thing. David was the only one who said, I can kill the giant. And guess what? He was the only one. The, all the children of Israel said, we can't possess the land. They all died. A new generation came along. God told them, shut your mouth. Didn't he? Walk around the city, don't say a word. You guys messed up last time. Now, this new group, here's how you're going to do it. And it's interesting, the leaders that were chosen, what did they do? The first one said, we're not able. Would God we die in the wilderness or would God we die back in Egypt? And they got exactly what they said. They died in the wilderness. The next group said, we are well able to possess the land. You know what's interesting? God said to both groups, you're well able. But one group wouldn't uh, extinguish the bad thoughts by repeating what God said. It's very interesting because we're familiar with Jesus' earthly ministry, but do you know the Bible said he has a heavenly one? He's called the high priest over our confession or the words we say. In, in Hebrews 3.1 and Hebrews 4 and Hebrews 10, he talks about how the present day ministry of Jesus is to back your words. And it literally means the words you say that are in line with what he said. So if we're going to quench fiery darts, I think this verse right here in John 6.63 is hugely important because it gives us the value of words. It gives us the, an understanding about the difference between a positive thought, the potential in it, and then what's in a positive word. And not just a positive word, but actually words that are documented that are in line with God's word. Now notice this in John 6.63. It is the Spirit who gives life and understanding. The flesh profits nothing. Notice this next part. The words that I speak to you are spirit and life. That means if you were around Jesus when you heard him speak, there was a feast. Remember we talked about how Job said that as the tongue tastes of food, so the ear tastes of words? Could you imagine what they feasted on when they would hear Jesus speak? Because he said, I don't say anything unless I'm hearing it from God and repeating it to you. And then he said, the words I'm speaking to you are full of God's life and God's spirit. That means words are containers. As much as people who have cups... I don't know what's in your cups. You know, there are people, now people are opening bottles. Oh, I have one. No. But we have, we bring, you know, water bottles, coffee, tea, whatever people have, and they're drinking of these things. Those are containers to carry something. Yeah. 
Jesus said words are containers. That's why he said the thoughts or the words, the suggestions that come to the enemy contain his fiery junk that tries to start a fire. But he said, my words are full of spirit life. And we know if we couple the two verses together, then his words are more powerful and will extinguish certain things. Why do we speak? We talked about this before. It extinguishes wrong thoughts. It waters faith. It releases faith. It, and, we, and I'm quoting verses, basically. It, it plants things in our heart. Why is it so important to watch what we say? Why is it so important to say the right thing? Because really we're investing in ourselves. We're affecting our own heart. And so if words are containers, then I'm building something, planting something, watering something, possibly extinguishing something, or causing something to grow, or, you know, the list goes on. Notice this in James 1, and then we're going to talk just for a couple minutes before we leave, about what exactly are we supposed to say. And these things are huge. And in thinking about this and in praying and getting ready, I was thinking, Lord, what is the end result that I really want or believe you want out of what I'm teaching and been teaching for the last couple weeks and I thought you know the real thing is is ultimately if you wanted you know if I taught on reaching the lost what would I want people to take good notes and go wow did you get good notes I got good notes I got good notes no the end result would be sure I want you to have good notes but reach somebody Right? That would be the key, is bringing, reaching. That what would the key be here that we're talking about? To get our mouth moving. To get it moving. James, the first chapter. I think this verse right here is so interesting especially in the light of the other verses we've been looking at about the power in, in words and that God's words contain His Spirit life. So if we can find things in the Bible, it doesn't mean I need to be powerful. It doesn't mean I have to possess life myself, even though we do in Christ. But in His words... Our inherent power. Are you with me? So just by speaking them, I don't have to muster faith. I'm actually extinguishing things that may be trying to rob me of faith. I might be watering something. I might be releasing faith. And the list goes on. Are you ready? This is a thought of words that I think should be addressed. This verse right here. 
If anyone, verse 26 of the first chapter, if anyone among you thinks he is religious. Now this term is not bad to say I'm religious. I know that there's a big thing. We don't follow a religion. We have a relationship. And rightfully so. We do have a relationship with God. Absolutely true. But we also are following a religion. The very verse, or two verses down, or one verse down, it says this, verse 27, pure and undefiled religion before God. So religion isn't like a four-letter word that's bad. Like, ooh, they said religion. Religious. That's not me. No, he's saying there is a right religious religion type thing, and it's a pure thing. It's a good thing. But notice this in verse 26. If anyone among you thinks he is religious, this is a, a good way of walking with God. You have good habits before God. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, or you could say it like this, watch what he says. It says, doesn't bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart. If a person doesn't control their speech, it actually has an effect on their own heart. Isn't that what Jesus said? Didn't he say, you know, be careful what you hear? Then he said, then the sower sows the word of God. He proclaims the word of God and it gets into the heart of a person. But do you know that we have an opportunity to water things in our heart? plant things in our heart? And how many of you realize that what you water with is important for things for them to grow? And he said, if we don't control our tongue, we actually have an effect on our own heart. We actually affect, and really, a catastrophic effect is he trying to tell us something negative and get us to leave and go, we're in trouble? No, what he's trying to do is say, here's the solution to quenching fiery darts, to getting your heart reaching to the heights, to getting answers. Look how often Jesus told people, do you believe? And then he'd ask them, a question. You know why? He wanted them to verbalize. Do you believe I'm able to do this? All of us would say, of course, the answer is yes. But there were some people around him in Matthew 12 and in Mark 6 that said we didn't, they didn't believe it. And then it didn't happen. And so it's not about great faith. It's about agreeing with God and getting our tongue in motion. Are you with me? Notice this. If anyone among you, this church, thinks he is religious and does not bridle his own tongue, but he deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless or ineffective. Well, that tells us something right there. The reason why faith is held back is because people don't say the right thing. 
What if I would repeat, I have no strength to do that, when the thought comes? I don't have the ability to do that. But what if that's a fiery dart telling me I can't? And God said in Philippians 4.13, we can do all things through Christ. He strengthens us. Wouldn't that be the right thing? Or, or man, I need to hear from God, but I can't hear from God. What if that is a fiery dart that's telling me I can't hear, but the Bible said in Romans 8.16, everybody who's born of God has the witness of the Spirit, and God deals with us by His Spirit. So what would I need to do then? I would need to agree with that and say, God speaks to me. God deals with me. You notice there is a difference. I don't have the strength or I agree with God. And when I do, it starts affecting my heart. Now notice, one person deceives his heart. Why, would, why could a Christian's heart be deceived? How could a Christian's heart be deceived by the very Christian? It's an interesting thought. But what if every Christian already, once they get saved, is something? And then I speak away from that something. What if God said, I've been made your righteousness. I've been made your way of salvation. I've been made your deliverance from the devil and from addictions and everything else. And then I say, I can't overcome. And he said, I've already overcome it for you. Then really I'm speaking against my identity. If I say I don't have a lot of value, then what am I saying? I'm deceiving my own heart. It's going against the fact that I have a ton of value. Somebody said, you do? I believe you do. I wish I did. No, the idea is the value of every human is measured by Christ's payment of giving himself. So we all can boldly say, I have a ton of worth in God's eyes. But you'll notice all these things that come against people are to rob identity. Does God care for me? The Bible said he cares for us. So if I say he doesn't care for me, I'm deceiving my own heart. How many of you, you know, if you were, have a kid, you know, you're trying to help them with their identity as they grow? And if they got around somebody else who was talking them down and speaking down about them, some parents would say, that's not, and you'd name your last name, that's not how an Edwards acts. That's not who we are. Why are we saying that? We don't want their hearts to be deceived. And God said, here is the key. You know, man... I live in this tough time and the world's tough. 2 Corinthians 1.4 said God will comfort us in all of our affliction so we'll have so much comfort left over we'll be able to comfort others. But how many people say I'm a Christian but I can't make it and I'm so hurt. What am I doing? 
It's not that you're not facing hurts, but how am I going to overcome them? I can't deceive my own heart. I can't speak away from what God is saying about me. I have to begin to say, the Lord is the strength of my life. Matthew 28 said, he'll never leave me, so I'm not alone. I feel so alone at these times, I'm not alone. What am I doing? I'm extinguishing fiery darts. I'm not speaking away from something that's contrary to who I am. And these things are true for all of us. You know, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power. I feel so weak and so powerless. That is speaking against our own heart. We need to begin to say, even when you feel weak, the spirit of power is in me. The spirit of love is in me. The spirit of a sound mind is in me. The Holy Spirit's in me. That's 2 Timothy 1.7. What am I doing? I'm keeping junk out of my heart. Are you guys with me? The, 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 the big thing about these things is you don't have to feel a lot of power. It's amazing, and, and I'm not trying to speak bad against our generation and this generation we live in, but why do you have to put a warning label on a cup of coffee that you could get burned by it? I mean, isn't that inherent in the, in the fact that you got a hot drink, that if you spilt it on yourself, you're going to get burned? But you have to put a label on it so somebody doesn't sue you. I mean, serious, somebody got sued like from McDonald's, so they had to put it on there. Because I didn't know that this 200 and something degree thing at boiling temperature, if I pour it in my lap, I'm going to get burned. So I'm going to get a million dollars and then you're going to have to write that on the cup. How many of you know if there's something in that cup, whatever's in that cup, you don't have to have a lot of emotion. You don't have to have a lot of faith. I mean, if it's grape juice, you don't have to have great faith. If it's hot coffee, you don't have to have great faith. You just realize it's in the container. So whatever his words are, when I speak them out of my mouth, I'm, my words are a container, and the words that are in there, in my mouth, whatever they contain will start producing an effect. It's extinguishing stuff that would make me feel inferior as a Christian. That would make me feel guilty as a Christian. It would start extinguishing them. If I feel like I don't have purpose, that I'm alone, that God won't help me. He said, lo, I'm with you always, and I'll lead you in paths of righteousness. And your path will grow brighter and brighter every day. I need to start saying that. Why? Because I'm not going to allow lies to deceive my heart. I'm not going to repeat those. I'm going to repeat what God said. And this will begin to change your emotions. The things you're beginning to experience. Jesus had to do this with his disciples. There were times they, they were like, man, we can't go into that city. He said, we're all going to die. And Jesus would say things like, nobody can take our life. Let's go. Are you with me? And so we need to realize our words 
may not change everything real fast, but they will start turning things. It's good that they don't happen real fast. Are you with me? Somebody said, why? I want things to change fast. No, you don't. I wish I were dead. Aren't you glad it didn't happen real fast? Bam. What happened? Oh, they said, but I don't want to repeat what they said. Because it can happen real fast. No, it's like the rudder on a ship. It starts a process. But once you're headed the right direction, why are these things important? Because this is a living book. That's why there's such a battle against this book. Because the enemy doesn't want people to believe in it. Because if they believed in it, they would change the course of their life. They would change how things are on the earth. They would change where they're going. It would change how they got answers to prayer. It would change how they dealt with the devil. It would change everything in their life. Or change how they live in circumstances. So, like I said, if there's any one thing that I would want out of this is for people to start moving their mouth the right direction. The right direction. I'm alive with Christ. I have the very nature of Christ in me. How? Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the, the new has come. And all of this nature is from God who has reconciled us, brought us back to himself, and is not holding our sins against us. So I need to do that. Why? I don't want to deceive my heart and say, God, I don't know if God loves me. I'm deceiving myself. I can't be healed I can't overcome. The Lord said, I've already done the work for you. I stripped the devil of his power. You don't have to muster great faith. Start releasing words. Those words are containers. Here's a proof. Have you ever said negative things over and over and it felt like a cloud just started hanging over your head? I don't know if everything's going to ever change in this. They come into your head so we might repeat them. God gave us his book so we might repeat them and quench all the other ones. How many of you know a victorious life is a real thing for here upon the earth? For you, for me, for us. The Bible said if God is for us, who can be against us? I need to say God's for me. I can always win. That is not a fantasy. That's what God has for you. And it all comes back to what will I do with my words.